When you are building something no one has ever seen, something no one has ever imagined, who can you turn to for help? The answer is the other people who are facing the same issues you are. Those product inventing, boundary pushing, design obsessed folks who are just like you. Welcome to AWS Startup Stories. I'm Michelle Kung. And I'm Michael Copeland. What follows are the tools that work, the leadership practices that make a difference, and the lessons you only learn by building a company. And one more thing, what startup jockeys do with a very rare item, their downtime. So let's get to it. Tool, practice, lesson, and something to do when you aren't neck deep in code. Welcome to AWS Startup Stories. We are here in the San Francisco loft on a hot day for San Francisco with Mehdi Osman, who is the CEO and founder of Assire. Mehdi, welcome. Thank you for having me. You guys are started in Paris. You're here in Silicon Valley. Tell us what Assire does and, and how you ended up here. Okay. So yeah, we're a French company. We came over to the US about nine, 10 weeks ago to do YC. Um, and we're building the session replay tool for developers. What does that mean? Tell us what that means. So it's a tool that lets you uh, see exactly what your users do on your website while debugging your entire stack. So the whole goal is to be able to eliminate bugs way faster. And you said YC as in Y Combinator. Yes. Um, how and why? Like, you know, probably know the why, but like, how did that happen? Okay. So, um, yeah, we applied to YC. I think that that was like the third time I applied. So it was not successful for the first two times. And then it worked this time. So they called us over to come for an interview on last May. And then, yeah, we were picked. So that was like very exciting. Okay. So I have to ask, because many people dream of getting into YC. Why do you think on the third time Assire worked, or was it Assire, or, or was it just you? No, it was. It you know, I think I think it was a bit of both. Probably I was like, probably they felt like I was determined to get into YC. So the Clearly. first two times it didn't work, and then yeah, at some point you make your own destiny. So yeah. Well, you're a technical founder, and I, I want to know a little bit. Let's talk about Assire a little bit more. Like the problem you're solving was it a problem that you had? Yeah. And that's why you're like, hey, we better build something to solve this because everybody has this problem. So I'm, I'm a software engineer by training. So I, I was a developer for many years and probably the least like part of your job is like reproducing and eliminating bugs, even though it takes two minutes to fix it, but you spend like, you can spend hours uh, doing that. And when you're young, that's pretty much like 50% of your job on a daily basis. So right. that's not fun. Right. So you, you, you figured out a way to, to both see it, automate it and then get rid of it. Yes. Um, so the way to reproduce it has been already been, I mean, has, has already been there so far, but you had like to use different system monitor, different tools, et cetera. So we're pulling all of that data into one single place so you can like reproduce it way faster than before. Right. All right. You are a founder. Is this your first company, your fifth company? What is it? That's my second company, but it's my first startup. Uh-huh. Uh, so second company I started as a, I started a consulting company just before and I, quit because that wasn't too exciting. So yeah, I decided to create a sire. Well, let's jump into these questions then. What's a tool that you use on a regular basis or a tool that you can't live without and you can't say Assire? <laughs> email. I'm sorry to disappoint you, but email. Email? E- yes, email. Yeah. Why? Um, this is how you get your business done. I mean, you, you can talk about Slack and all these new tools, but still like the formal communication or the formal way of doing stuff is still email. And I think the days ahead of email are just going to be too long. 
before it gets replaced. Right, right. So you you both love it and use it, and then it sounds like you know hate it at the same time. Well, love it, no, but using it, yes, definitely. Yeah. There was a period where it was the end of email, and there were all these you know tools and other approaches, and yeah. it certainly hasn't happened. And you don't see it happening anytime soon, I guess. I don't see it happening anytime soon. Um, I think probably we should uh, distinguish between like again like a formal way of communicating. And an informal way. So pretty much like Slack and all other tools that you see out there for informal chat or informal mm-hmm. communication, that's that's fun, that's fantastic. And that like kind of replaces email. But still for formal communications, you still have to rely on email. Right. That's with your customers and and is it because you're more of a B2B play or do you think that applies kind of broadly as you are out there in the world? I'm it does. I mean, we use email a lot ourselves in AWS, that's for sure. Interesting. Uh yeah, I th- I think primarily because of B two B company. Yeah, I don't know for B two C probably there are like some other ways and means to communicate with a customer through Messenger, WhatsApp, whatever. Chatbots and things chatbots like that. Yeah, and yeah. things like that. Yeah, exciting things like that. But uh, in our business, I think for B two B, it's still like the main, like the primary medium to communicate with your customers. Right. All right. I like that one. You've sold me. How about a leadership practice or routine? Something that you do with your team, or something you've done on could be another team for that matter that you think actually really works. Interesting. Um, I would say the way we communicate with customers, I always try to take the lead on that, which means how do you solve their problems? How do you talk to them? Uh, how do you, you know, make sure like they're happy with the product and you kind of have to lead by example in this kind of situation. So I would say this is, this is the thing I would keep on top of my mind. How did you come to that? Is it because you're a founder and you know that like at the end of the day, when you're building something, especially something new, you know, it's kind of your responsibility to lead the way or did you learn that by giving up that responsibility and it didn't work so well? Because that's the only thing that matters at the end of the day. We're like a small company. We're a startup in its early days. The only thing that counts at the end of the day is how your customers are talking about you, how they're using your product. So how to get from zero to 10 customers are like super happy, then how to get from 10 to 100, and then how to to do it onwards. Right. Um, so that's probably the only thing that matters today is like building things that your customer will love and, and use. So for you as a founder, then do you have that conversation directly with them all the time? Or, and as things grow, it seems you're hard to scale in that regard. It's probably hard to scale tomorrow. I can take any other big company and I don't believe like the CEO would be talking with the customers anymore. But at our stage, yeah, like it has to be done by the founder. Like that that's the only way. You have the credibility, you have the vision, you know the product more than anyone else. So yeah, the, there isn't anyone else that's going to replace you in that job. So you have to do it on a daily basis with each one of them. Same thing you would do with hiring people, by the way. So I don't know to what extent, to 10, 20, 50 or 100, but you have to do it. Right. Yeah. Right. And and what do you learn as you do that when you're out with customers? And like, I mean, obviously it's a two-way conversation. So you're there to do your founder thing to perhaps sell them or describe why they should be partners with you and customers, et cetera. Um, but what do you look for and what do you learn in those conversations? Oh, what they love and what they don't like. What they love is, I think there might be like, sometimes you spend your time building new features and at the end of the day, probably 80% of it is going to go down the toilet. So what I'm looking at primarily is the one or two things that they love that they're using on a daily basis and how to double down on that. This is the main thing. You're certainly not looking for solutions from your customers. You're looking for problems and you have to think 
about a way to solve that. Right. You're not expecting from a customer to give you a solution because otherwise, I mean, you're here to give them the right solution. Right. And something <laughs> that's your that business, be, not theirs, that, right? That's absolutely, that's our business. So, yeah. All right. I like that one. At this stage in, in your company, how many customers do you try and see a week? Is it is it like that? Do you have a, a goal or do you just do as much as you can? Yes, we do. We try to have at least like five demos a week um, with like medium businesses and trying to have at least like two chats with our current customers right? every week, every single week. Right. So it's both new customers in the pipeline out there and then keeping up yes, with the customers absolutely. that you have. Right. All right. A lesson learned. Now, this can be something um, that you were happy to learn and, and or maybe something you're like, oh, wish I'd never do that again. I think the most important aspect of startup building is being determined. I mean, we think of it as this is one visionary in his own garage with 20 bucks in his in his pocket right. who's going to like save the world or make the world a better place. But it starts at a very basic level is how can you solve that problem and how can you make it uh, to the to a much broader audience. And in that game, I mean, being smart does definitely help you in the process. But I think the most important part of it is being determined, is how long can you survive? How many iterations can you go through in order to, to make that thing happen? Looking at different stories for different companies, you know, every company is successful in its own way. Or not. Or right? not, yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. But if we define like the main criteria of success today, at least in the Silicon Valley, is how to get to a billion dollar company, right? right. So for, for most of the people. Right. At the end of the day is some statistics, like probably 1% of it, or even probably even way less than that. Um, so what makes a difference is not having, is not being smart. There are a lot of smart people out there in the world. What makes a difference is the environment being completely determined to reach that goal. Right. So this is what I do believe in. How does that de determination manifest itself for you then? I mean, clearly it's applying to YC three times. There's people who applied once or like didn't get in. They're like, okay, I'm done with that. It's coming to the United States to be a part of YC and building out your market, you know, in the in North America. Yeah. Um, but for you, how does that determination manifest itself, do you think? Oh, um, so we pivoted probably twice in the past. The company's been there for a year and a half, a bit more. So being determined is is again, trying to doubling down on the problem, making sure that you get to 10 customers and then from 10 customers to getting to more. Right. Um, so like starting from the basics. So what are we solving today? How can we solve it in the most frictionless way for our customers and taking it from there? Now, you just said pivot um, and you pivoted a couple of times and everybody says that, most people say that, and it sounds um, <laughs> easy. Oh, it's but, not. But it's not. It's and the worst thing. Well, tell us about that. It's the worst thing because you build a whole company about an idea and you build a whole company about a vision. And then at some point it's not taken off for whatever reason that may be. So whether you have to iterate or you have to pivot, well, clearly we haven't pivoted. Like we were building a software tool from the beginning to help like ship quality software, right. or quality, you know, quality web apps. So you kind of iterate probably in a big way. So we haven't pivoted like to an e-commerce website or to or to VR or cryptocurrency or whatever, right, but right, we're right, still right, into right. the same business. So it's like a big iterations, but you have to do so many of them yeah. uh, until you reach that point where you can say, we have product market fit. Right. And I think that's something that's going to be probably too obvious for you in the future than just like stating it on your own way and saying it to everyone. Right. Is it obvious when you hit that point? Like the, there's the moment you're like, ah, that's it. I mean, and, and is similarly, is it also obvious when you don't have product market fit? I guess you don't have any customers or at least not enough. I don't believe we have reached product market fit. We're still pre-product market fit. 
I think a lot of companies, though they're successful, probably they haven't yet reached product market fit. I would, I would believe it would be too obvious. Uh, and this is like one lesson we learned from Y Combinator is like, you cannot miss product market fit. Like everything go goes crazy and it doesn't feel nice. Like this is where you have product market fit. Right. I, I love how this all gets back to determination though too. Iterating, keeping at it, keeping your eyes, you know, and your ears to your customers and, and fixing things that the problems that they have, but then just not stopping. Yeah, not stopping until you hit that. Yeah. All right. In all the spare time that you don't have, what are you binging on? Well, first of all, taking care of my kids and I'm not doing it well enough. Uh, and then I would say the second thing would be, I love watching TV shows. Uh, so the one I'm watching right now is The Handmaid's Tale from Hulu. Right. And I find it to be very, very good. It's a very good show. Isn't it a little depressing though? Maybe. Or let me ask it another way. What do you like about it so much then? Like everything in it can be, can be totally real. Let me tell you something else. So I'm, I'm French Tunisian. I come from this very little country called Tunisia, North Africa. Yep. And I lived my first 20 years under the dictatorship of, several, of, of one single president. But so I right. know how things can change. In an autocratic yes. kind of scenario. So it, they, they can change they can change very quickly. You just need the right ingredients and, and it kicks in and, and, and that's it. Whether in a bad or in a good way, where in our case it changed in a very good way. Right. But I know what that feels. So seeing and watching this movie about some big part of the US who comes under a religious dictatorship, that may happen, even if there's like one chance out of a thousand or 10,000, but that, that's still plausible, not only in the US, but in any other country. And, and you, can, you can take that to a different extent. Yeah, I can see why you would watch Was this. Was that too in, political? <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> I mean, that's the best review of Handmaid's Tale I've ever heard, actually. Oh, really? Okay. So, yeah, and, okay. and reason for watching it for that matter. Well, Mehdi Osman, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Michael. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for listening. Do us a favor and leave us a review. And if you know someone who we should have on the show, or maybe it's you, reach out to us at startupstories at amazon.com. And subscribe to AWS Startup Stories wherever you get your podcasts. 